Good morning. I love, I love that, uh, I love all the inter interaction engagement. Uh, my name is Luke. I get to be one of the pastors on staff here. And if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. We're going to be looking at a, a very famous parable this morning. And, and one of the reasons we're, we're going here is we're, we're finishing up this series that we've been, this, this mini-series we've been in, where we're asking the question, uh, what does it mean to be Compass Church? We're, we're, the statement is, we are Compass, so what does that mean? As Craig talked about, we, we want to be a spiritual formation factory. So what does that mean? Last week we talked about prayer. Uh, we, we've been talking about community, all these different things. And, and last week as I was um, getting ready to leave church, I was getting into a conversation with, with a friend of mine, Nathan. Uh, and I, I don't, uh, yeah, we, we were talking. I was trying to see if he was here. Um, but we were, we were talking about just these different people who have done incredible things for the kingdom of God. And it was, you know, he was, he was telling me about a guy that he listens to a lot who is actively um, rescuing young girls and women out of the sex uh, slave industry in, in crazy places of the world. It's like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. Right? And, and I was talking to him about how I've been listening to, uh, to this guy whose his story, he spent like 26 years in, in pretty hostile environments. And he, he saw himself as a militant peacemaker. And he would go in, he would go in and disrupt terror cells simply with the gospel. Like just amazing stories. And, and, and you know, as we were talking, I just, I, I feel myself like, man, that would be, I would love for my story to be like that, right? I would love to, to just be able to, to identify and say, man, God's working here. What would it look like to go there and do that? But then, you know, and then, then I find myself like, yeah, but I live in the real world. Right? I mean, that, that stuff, I've been in situations before where I, I experienced something and it's like, that, that is no doubt God. I was, in, I was in a scenario, I was in a situation, and, and I just, there was no doubt like that was a God-ordained thing that I just got to witness. And yet the, the reality is, for me, so much of the time, it's like, yeah, it'd be nice to be about a spiritual formation factory, and it'd be nice to, to, to really impact the world and, and bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But, but you know, I got a job. I got, I got family. I got, I got all these different things. And so is that, is that realistic? Is it realistic to, to continue to see God work and move? And, 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 and the reality is, I believe what we see from Scripture is the answer is yes. Right? That, that we are called, we are invited into, into a relationship with our rabbi, with our, with our master, with Jesus, with God, that, that leads us into doing what our rabbi did. I, I believe that we are called so much through Scripture. We are called ambassadors for Christ. We are called to be cities on a hill. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be change agents, and the question is, as we, as we kind of wrap up uh, this, this, this series, the question is, well, how do we live in that reality then? How do I live a fearless life where I am 
actively bringing flourishing into the world around me. And as I asked this question, my mind kept going to the the parable of the talents. Because I think that as we look at this parable, I think that God answers the question of how do we do this? How do we embrace this type of life? How do we as believers, Compass Church here in Columbia, Missouri, how do we actively see the kingdom of God come to earth as it is in heaven? How do we do that? So we're going to look at this. But before we turn there, uh, I just, I just want to say that, that parables were never meant to answer every question we have, too. Parables were not given by Jesus to, like, bottom shelf everything. It wasn't like he's talking to a bunch of kids and he's like, you know, let me tell you a story. It's kind of like this. And it, it wasn't so that people could understand more clearly. It was so that people would lean in. Like my grandpa used to say, it's, it puts salt in their mouth. Right? You know what that means? I, I'm realizing that I have a lot of sayings from my grandpa that don't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Um, it, it's put salt in your mouth and makes you thirsty, right? It's like the, it, like the parable of the sower is a great example where Jesus is talking about uh, the man who goes out to sow seed and, and some of the seed falls on the path, some falls on the rocky soil, some falls in the weeds, and some falls on rich soil. And afterwards, people are like, I don't get it. I'm out. And they, they, they leave. But then others are like, I don't get it. Hey, can you, can you tell me more? Like it made them thirsty. It made them desire to know more about you. So as we go into this parable, trying to ask the question, how do, we, how do we truly be with our rabbi and do what our rabbi does? We're not trying to answer every question. But we are trying to open up an experience where we are curious and we're leaning into our master. Okay? So if you would stand with me, we're going to read together. Starting in uh, Matthew 25, we're going to start with verse 14. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles under the the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, that's yours. You don't have to ask. That's your Bible. You take it. So Matthew 25, starting with verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. That's an important part. Each one according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. 
But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine, my own, with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we, we need your help as we go to your word this morning. I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Give us a mind to receive and help us to see you. It's in your name. Amen. You may be seated. As as we're looking at this passage, again, the question is, how do we we be people? I I would love, I would love Compass Church to be just churning out stories of new life. Not because we want to grow, but because life is happening. Right? And, And the... As we look at this parable, I believe there are three things that we have to embrace if we're going to be with our rabbi and do what our rabbi does. The, the, first, thing, the first thing that I believe we're called to embrace by this parable is that we need to embrace what's been entrusted. We need to embrace what's been entrusted. When, when, the, when the master is getting ready to leave and he gives his servants, he gives one five, he gives one two, he gives one one. Why does he give them what he gives them? Why does he give one five and one one? Why does he do that? Did, did you see? I pointed it out. According to their own ability. I love that because the master, it would not have been beneficial for the servant who got one to have five. The master understood his, his servants. The master understood the people that he was caring for. And he loved them so much that he said, hey, I'm not going to give you more than what you can handle. I'm not going to give you something that's, I'm not going to give you five when really what you need is one. And, and what we see as we look through this parable is it didn't matter how much then was, was reproduced. That, that didn't matter. What mattered was that they embraced what had been entrusted to them. Right away, the one that had five went out and started trading with it. Right away, the one that had two went out and started doing something with it. It didn't matter. The guy that had two didn't say, well, I don't have five. So I guess I'll just, you know, I guess I'm just not as good. So just, you know, I'll just sit on it, I guess. He, did, he, he didn't say that. Even the one who had one, the reason he buried it wasn't because he didn't have five. This parable reminds me so much of when Paul is talking about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. I want to read just a little bit of it uh, for you. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, Paul... Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just paraphrase it, right? 1 Corinthians 12, Paul basically says, hey, we have one God, we have one spirit, and he gives to each according to their abilities. He, he, gives, he gives to some teaching, he gives to some prophecy, he gives to some, uh, all the faith, he gives to some these different gifts, but it's all from God. I, I, the, the reality there is, again, Paul is describing the church, and he's saying, look, if you are a part of this body, then you have been given, you have been entrusted with, with a, a piece of the puzzle. You have been entrusted with a gift. And, and so often what we do is we try and take ourselves out of the equation because we get so focused on what we don't have instead of what we do have. 
We get so focused on, like, I, I was talking to a person in between services, and they're like, well, you know your gifting. Your, part of your gifting is teaching, and part of your gifting is worship. And it's like, yeah. And there are so many times where I get to, I, I, I approach a thing like this morning, and it's like, I don't. I'm not saying this for you to come up to me afterwards and be like, you did a great job. Just assume that I already believe you think that, all right? Just assume that. But there are times where I approach this and it's like, you know, I don't read as much as Craig. I don't, I don't have as, as much wisdom as my, my pastors in the past. I, don't, I feel like I just muddle around and my, I've been told my communication style is rambly. You know, and I, I, I don't know. Like we, we all can come into this space where, where we compare ourselves to the, the other people in this whole thing, other servants, and we say, well, I'm, you know, I, I'm not that. I can't do that. Paul, as he goes on in 1 Corinthians 12, he actually, he's talking about the, the body and he says, just because a foot isn't a hand doesn't mean it's not part of the body. And just because an ear isn't an eye doesn't mean it's part of the body. I've said it before that, that a body without a foot is incomplete. And a foot without a body is a crime scene. Right? It's creepy. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. If you come into a space and you're like, I can't do it because, then what you're doing is you're putting too much emphasis on what you haven't been given and not embracing what you have. And the reality is, we as a body, if we are going to be with our rabbi and do what our rabbi does, we need every piece. So if we're, if we're going to do this, if we're going to live this life, we are going to be Compass Church, and if we are going to be about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth as it is in heaven here in Columbia, Missouri, you have to bring what you have been given. You don't have it. We, there, is, there are no sideline Christians you don't, you don't get to, if you, if you say I'm a part of this, you don't get to sit on the sideline. Right? You, you don't get to do that. And, and I know that sounds performancy, and we're not trying, I'm not trying, but you, you've been entrusted. There is a place. So we have to first embrace what's been entrusted. The second thing that I think we have to do if we're going to do this is we have to embrace the risk. We have to embrace the risk. Again, the, the first master or the first servant, he went out right away, started trading with the five. The second one right away started trading with the two. Why did the last one bury his talent? Huh? He was afraid, right? He was scared. I, I think there was this mindset, and again, I don't want to read too far into it because I don't want to try and make this parable answer every question that we have. It's not meant to do that. But I think that the, the third servant was so caught up in the what ifs that he didn't engage. He was so caught up in the what ifs. What if, what if I do this and I fail? What if I start to trade with it and I fail? See, the, the master, he didn't care how much was brought back. The two, the guy with the two, it, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. He didn't have five. The master didn't say, well, you know, John over here, he got five. So uh, I, guess, I guess come on in. You can sit in the corner. 
But, I mean, at least you get to come in. But, no, he says, come in. Come into the joy of your master. The, the point wasn't that, that he didn't have five. The point was he just, he embraced the risks. I, I think, and again, for me, there's, as I've been thinking about this, this message this morning, there's so many times where God has just put his finger on parts of my life because what happens, what happens all too often is I get so caught up in the what ifs I fail. What if I fail? What if I, I, I feel like God is calling me to say this thing, or I feel like God is calling me to do this thing, or I feel like God has given me this gift? And what if, what, if I, what if I do it and I fail? And as I was thinking about that, I, like, it just kind of clicked in my head. It's like, what if failing isn't failing? What if, what if failure doesn't mean you failed? And uh, let me explain. What if failing actually means you're forming? Right? What, the, we, we see this in natural human development all the time. Right? I, 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 I crack myself up sometimes, just my internal dialogue. And I'm very funny. A lot of people don't know that. Um, but I, I watched one time this baby giraffe being born. And he's wild. I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine coming into the world. Like, th- this baby giraffe, like, dropped, like, five feet. Uh, you know, it's like you're nice and warm in the womb, and then, boom, you hit the ground. And, and maybe that's why they get up and start kind of, it's like, oh my goodness, I just got the, you know, I'm stars circling my head. I got to get up and start. What? Can you imagine if, if the delivery room was that way? Like, human delivery would be so much different, right? If the baby comes out and then starts running around the room. Like a three-year-old, like just going like, oh my goodness, you know, you'd have nurses. Their whole job would just be to catch the baby when it's running around the room, right? We, we know that human development, that you can't, you can't walk until you crawl. You can't walk if you're, if you're going to, you, you have to fall. You have to, you have to stumble if you're going to walk. And no parent ever, well, I shouldn't say ever, I don't know, no, I don't, no parent I know of, let's just say that. No parent I know of, when, when their kid is learning to walk and they stumble, be like, wow, you really screwed that up, didn't you? Wow, you're a, you, you're a great walker. Why don't we try that? You know, no, no parent would ever shame their kid for stumbling when they're trying to walk. In fact, it's the absolute opposite. We celebrate when they fail, right? Because the point isn't that they are a failure. The point is they're being formed. They walk and they stumble. And we're like, oh, you took a step. Oh, yeah. You know, and then at least that was our experience. Maybe you're like, you're crazy. That's not. See, that's human development. And it's also spiritual development. Failure does not mean we are failures. Failure means we're forming. All throughout scripture. There is not one perfect person that God uses in scripture except for Jesus. Right? I mean, if you think about, think about just off the top of your head, some of, um, like Noah. Noah, God used him to, to bring salvation to humanity. And Noah, right after the ark, you know, the floodwaters rise. They get on the boat. They, you know, incredible man of faith. Awesome. They get off the boat. He builds an altar, sacrifice to God. Oh, that's so cool. You know what he does next? You know what he does next? He, he plants a vineyard. Waits for the grapes to be at a place. I don't know how long it takes to a vineyard. I've never planted a vineyard. But he plants a vineyard, gets grapes, ferments the grapes, makes wine, and then gets drunk and naked. 
Like, you talk about, like, have you ever been in a restaurant with somebody and you order a hamburger and it takes a long time and they're like, wow, they have to kill the cow? It's like, he wanted a drink so bad he planted a vineyard. Like, this is forethought. He's playing the long game. Right? I mean, that's Noah, uh, Moses had an anger issue. Uh, Abraham was a guy that he, he threw his wife under the bus twice. There was a famine in the land. They go to, like, a foreign land. They go to Egypt. And, Noah, and Abraham's like, hey, look, Sarah, you're so good looking. You're going to get me killed. So let's just say that you're my sister. Let's just, you know, it's, you know let's just go with that. And pe- they go into the land, and people are like, man, she's good looking. He's like, yeah, I know. She's my sister. Just my sister. Just my sister. And then, and then they, like, Pharaoh or whoever takes her, and he's just like, well, I guess that was fun while it lasted. Like, he just lets her go. It's so crazy. There's so many times David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he was an adulterer and a murderer and a terrible father. Peter, I mean, we, we, we like to pick on Peter. Peter was just a loudmouth and, I mean, denied Christ. Paul, Paul was a terrorist. Literally. On his way to, to throw the new church in jail, that's when God knocked him off his horse. He had a letter of intent to throw the church in jail, to oppress the church. He was a terrorist. All throughout scripture, what we see is God uses imperfect people. So we have no excuse. We have no excuse. If you're saying, I, I'm a failure, you don't know what I've done, your failure just means you're forming. Right? So what does it mean, if, if we're going to engage with this, we have to first embrace what we've been entrusted with, embrace risk, and then lastly, we're called to embrace our rabbi, embrace our master. When, when that third servant comes to him, it, it's so much different than the first two, right? So much different. The, the first two are like, here's what you gave me. Here's what I did with it. And the, the master's like, oh yeah, awesome, come in. And the third one's like, hey, all right, let's get some things settled. I, knew, I know this about you, right? I know you're harsh. I know you do these things. I know you're not fair. So here's, here's what's yours. See, that, that language actually, it's an incredible insult, because what the, what the servant is doing is he's actually putting himself in position of the master. He said, I know this about you, so here you go. Here, take, take back what's yours. So I, I think that what we see here is that this servant, he did not work and he did not act in accordance to what he knew to be true about the character of his master. He instead worked to, in, in what he knew to be true about what his fear told him. Right? See, I, I think that lots of times when we work out of fear, we create a, a worst case scenario future where God doesn't exist. So I know God is harsh. I know God isn't happy with me. Oh, I didn't do my devotionals this morning. No wonder I don't have a, a parking spot close to Walmart. Like, I know God is just waiting to like, just, you know, like he, he's, he's going to think I'm having too much fun and, and snuff me out. Like we, we have this mindset about our, our heavenly father that is so inconsistent with his character. And yet what happens all too often, what happens in our earthly relationships, and it absolutely happens in our heavenly relationship, is that when we create space, when things happen where maybe we don't understand why it happened or maybe somebody says something where it's like, oh, that was weird. It creates this space in our relationship and, and all too often we fill that space with, with not nice things, right? 
We fill that space with, oh, I can't believe, you know, I, I went to say hi to somebody this morning and, you know, they, they just looked away from me. What in the world is going on there? They are the biggest jerk. We, we fill this space. And I mean, I, I, uh, I was telling the worship team this morning that I always used to think I was a pretty chill person until I said that in front of my wife. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm super chill. I'm super laid back. And she's like, who told you you were chill and laid back? <laughs> like, who? Like, I, I always thought that. And yet, I, I, it was funny. I saw an Instagram reel the other day that talked about, uh, it showed a person, uh, an anxious person reading text messages. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. Because it's like, oh, how are you doing today? Good. Good. Wow, they hate me. What did I do? I didn't. I don't know what I did to them. Hey, are you coming over later? Yep. Yep. Wow. wow. They really hate me. There, there's this, we, we fill in the gap. Like my, my wife, you know, when she, when she travels and uh, doing different things with her, with her ministry and her business, there, there are times where she'll come back home and because, you know, again, I think I'm super laid back, but I'm not really, you know, she'll come back home and, and we'll be reconnecting and then she'll, she'll do something like she'll, you know, later on, she'll look at her plants. We have a lot of plants. We have way too many plants. Like, I think we have an issue. Uh, but she'll look at her plants and be like, wow, I really need to water my plants. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Uh, you think I didn't do anything while you were gone. Like, that's what you're saying. You're saying that I'm a lazy jerk that just lets your plants die. That's what you're saying. You know, we, we fill this, we fill in the gaps. Hopefully I'm not the only one that says it. My wife is awesome, right? But we, we fill in the gaps. And, and I think that what we need to understand, again, from this, from this passage, if we're going to engage, if we're going to be with our rabbi and do what our rabbi does, we need to embrace our rabbi. See, the, this parable was given in a context. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about, he's, he's answering the question just a, a, a chapter or two earlier. The disciples come to him and say, when is the end going to happen? And he's given them this context. He's like, hey, this is, this is how it's going to be. And two chapters later, he shows himself as a master who dies for his servants. See, there's, there's a context. And, and the reality is, that if we, if we do not embrace what's been entrusted to us, if we don't embrace risk, and if we don't embrace our rabbi, we're never going to do what our rabbi does. Right? And so, so the question this morning that I've been wrestling with, I think there's three questions we have to ask ourselves from this passage. Three questions. The first question that we have to ask ourselves is, God, what have you entrusted me with? What have you entrusted me with? When, when God calls uh, Moses to set his people free, Moses, like, four or five different times is like, I can't do it. I can't talk. They're not going to listen. I mean, he just over and over and over and over again, right in the face of God. And until God's like, who made man's tongue? Like, I made you. I'm not going to call you to do something that I haven't equipped you to do. And yet there's one time where, where uh, God tells Moses, he says, what's in your hand? A shepherd's staff. He says, throw it down. And becomes a snake. I, I think there are so many times where what God might be asking us is just saying, what's in your hand? When, when we ask the question, well, what have I been entrusted with? What can I do? The question, what's in your hand? I think if we start there, what have you given me? 
What are my, what are my gifts? What are my dreams? What, are my, what do I feel like I come alive in? That's a great place to start, right? And, and the, the second question I think we have to ask is, God, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Am I afraid that I'm going to fail? Am I afraid that, that if, I, if I actually step out and try and embrace what I've been entrusted with and actually it's not, not what I've been entrusted with and then I'll be seen as a failure and people will be like, oh, oh wow, okay, you really, oh, you, know, you, you think you can teach? All right. So we're so, so afraid of failure. I, I, as we ask this question, I, one of my favorite quotes, I, uh, I heard it again this past week, uh, Thomas Edison, when he was trying to invent the light bulb, they went through 2,000 different filaments, and each one was a failure. Each one they failed, each one. And, and uh, after 2,000, I guess his uh, assistant was getting really frustrated and basically said, we don't know anything. We know nothing about this. And Thomas Edison, he replied confidently, and he says, oh, we've come a long way. We've learned a lot. We now know that there are 2,000 elements which we cannot use to make a good light bulb. See, I think the question is, what if we reframe failure? Ask ourselves the question, God, what, what am I afraid of? And the third question, God, what's keeping me from being with you? Maybe there, there is sin in your life that you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't go there. And, and, you know, there are times where you come to church and maybe there's a, a worship experience and you feel like God is continuing to say, hey, there's, a, there's stuff that we need to deal with. And yet because we're like, no, no, we keep distance and we live out of fear the question we have to ask ourselves, God, what's keeping me from you? Maybe, maybe it's our own habits. Maybe it's our flesh patterns. Maybe it's something that has taken his place. God, what's keeping me from you? This, this past week, well, and, and again, I don't want to miss this. I think a great way to ask these questions is in the context of community. Yes, get alone with God. Yes, ask him. Yes, write things down. Whatever, whatever comes out as you're, ask, as you're asking these questions. God, what have you entrusted me with? What am I afraid of? What's keeping me from being with you? But you, you, you realize that there are times where we can't see ourselves very clearly. Right? And it, we might come into to community. We might come into a space and be like, man, Luke, Luke ask this question. I don't think I'm entrusted with anything. I don't think I have any gifts. Yeah, that's what Paul says, but I don't feel like that's true. And other people can say, Are, for real? You're so good with people. For real, you're so good at just sitting with people. For real, you're so good at, at details. You're so good at these different things. And, and people can speak over us things that we do not see in ourselves. And, and also, when, when we can ask this question, God, what am I afraid of in the context of community? When we're, when we're just going through stuff, people can pick up and say, wow, it, it, I feel like there's a lot of fear coming out of you right now. Can we be curious about that? Like, I, I hear you saying this, but it sounds like that's, that's fear of who you think God might be, not, not in the reality of who God is. And when we ask the last, God, what's keeping me from being with you? There are so many times where I have had incredible people in my life that say, hey, Luke, 
Have you thought about maybe re, reorienting your priorities? Have you thought about maybe we need to go this way and not that way? And it's, when we ask these questions, especially in the context of community, I think it brings us into spaces where we can actually be with our rabbi and do what our rabbi does. The, I, I want to I close uh, this past week. I was, I was being reminded of, of a story by uh, the name of a guy. His name is Jay, uh, I actually wrote it down because I knew I would forget. Jeremy Cowart. Um, Jeremy Cowart, I talked about him here a little while ago, but he's a photographer out of Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, he, growing up, Jeremy just knew he was, he was dumb. He's like, I can't do anything. I don't fit anywhere. He took aptitude tests. Like, uh, in, in his story, he talks about how uh, he, he scored five out of 100 when it came to reading comprehension. It's not good, right? And, and he kept saying, I'm worthless. I'm, and his parents kept walking beside him saying, no, you're not. You are, you are wonderfully and beautifully made. You, you're creative for a purpose. And he just didn't, didn't believe it. And they kept trying to help him figure out, okay, what's in your hand? What, how has God gifted you? And then he took an art class, and it just clicked. And he's like, oh, this is what I'm made for. This is, and he began to, to do art and, and uh, began to get into graphic design, all these, and then he took up photography and he's like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And he just became, he just came alive. And then he had these things and he's like, well, how do I use this for God's kingdom? And in uh, 2010, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, Haiti was hit with that earthquake. Do you guys remember that? It's like a 7.0 earthquake and it just leveled so much of Haiti. And Jeremy Cowell was talking about how he's, he's sitting at home with his wife and he sees all the devastation on TV and he hears about the, just the mayhem and, and how many people have died and how, how many buildings have been destroyed. And he kept thinking, but what about the people that are alive? What? And, and he kept thinking, what if those people could tweet? What would they say? What would their message be to the world? And he kept thinking, wait a second. Okay, like he's, maybe this is God. Maybe God's moving some. I have a camera. What can I do with what God's put in my hand? How can I embrace risks that maybe will fail? And he got his community around him. And he said, hey guys, I think this is what we're supposed to go do. And so they're like, yeah, let's go do it. And they went down to Haiti and they, they began to take pictures of people. And they had people take, uh, take just rubble that they found around. And they wrote like, hey, what would you want the world to know? And they found different people, and there's, there's so many. If you go to Jeremy Cowart, Voices of Haiti, you can see a lot more of these pictures. But this guy, he, he said his message, he wanted to say, the earth can shake, but Haiti remains in my heart. The, this other one, I just grabbed two. Uh, this woman saw her house and everything she owned just get leveled. And now, uh, she, when this picture was taken, she's living in a tent city, which was a, a golf course with thousands of other people. And she wrote down with her daughter, she wrote down on this, this piece of paper, the fact that I'm still alive does not mean I'm better than others. It's just a gift from God. And he, he took all these pictures and got all these stories and got all of these, these messages and, and then he's like, well, how do I put this out into the world? And he, start just, he started just putting one picture out at a time and giving the story. And, and an organization 
called Oxfam International got hold of it and they contacted them and said, hey, we have a gathering of, of world leaders coming up. It's an unprecedented gathering. We're trying to respond to what we're seeing. And all of these world leaders and, and donors, big donors, and they said, can you bring your pictures to the, uh, to the United Nations building? We want to set them up so that people can interact with them and then we're going to talk about Haiti. So we brought them, set them up, and at the end of that meeting, they pledged to, to give $10 billion to rebuild Haiti. All because one man who was called stupid for so long looked at a situation and said, what has God put in my hand? How can I engage with this? What would it look like to embrace risk and say, I don't know, but let's do it, and embrace his rabbi who has a heart for the oppressed? Compass Church, what would it look like for us to do that? Maybe it's not going to Haiti. Maybe it's going to Starbucks. And you notice that your barista is having a hard time. I, I, there was one story um, that uh, this other church I was a part of, and, and this person went to Starbucks, and they, they noticed the barista was kind of short, and they're like, hey, what's going on? They found out her story. She's a single mom. Her dryer just fried uh, that morning. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. He went back to his uh, connection group and said, hey, here's this story. I think God is asking us to buy her a new washer and dryer. They did, they took, and she was so amazingly impacted by the kingdom of God. See, the question is, what has God put in your hand? What would it look like for you to embrace risk and say, okay, I might fail, and the fact is, you will fail. If you're being formed, you you will fail. But if we embrace our rabbi, then the reality is there is that he is a good father, and he is, with each step where we move forward and we stumble, he's saying, ah, praise God I see you you're doing amazing now let's take another step come to church that's my prayer for us is that we would be people who who not only embrace what's entrusted we embrace risk and we embrace our rabbi Can, can we just pray God that's our prayer our prayer this morning is that we would engage with this message, that we would be with you and we would be able to do what you call us to do, God. Help us. Help us to ask these questions of ourselves. Help us to ask you. Help us to come into community together. God, I, I pray that you would, you would just reveal yourself to us as we ask what you have entrusted with us, what's in our hands. And, and as we ask the question, God, what, what am I afraid of and how do I get closer to you? God, I pray that you would just be present. Help us to hear you, God. God, we love you. We trust you. We put ourselves in your hands. It's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.